welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, we are in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. I've titled this message, Busy Bodies. We are busy bodies, not busy bodies. And in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has a need. This week, the Apostle Paul's concern of expressing love towards the brethren, it continues. Last Sunday, uh, we discovered through our passage uh, how he who loves his brother, his brother or his sister in Christ, Uh, They will obey the Lord's command to abstain from every form of fornication. And in verses 1 through 8, last week we discovered that the sins committed in the privacy of one's own home, they're not a private matter at all. Rather, when it pertains to sexual immorality, uh, people take that sin with them wherever they go. They spread it to their workplace, into the schools, uh, into society. If we're not careful, they will bring it into the church. And therefore, it is, it is never loving towards others to behave immoral. And it never remains a private matter. It, it always finds its way out into society. In summary, then, we learned that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, and our nation by carrying our bodies with dignity, with honor. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, we see in verse 3, namely, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And since our moral behavior, or our immoral behavior rather, never remains private, uh, but always emerges from our homes and becomes an influence to society around us, uh, it becomes then even our patriotic duty as citizens to to promote moral purity, uh, defend the sanctity of uh, heterosexual monogamous marriage. That was our message last Sunday in verses 1 through 8. Um, That was quite a challenging passage, no doubt. Uh, Therefore, it may next appear to us today, it might appear at first glance, that Paul is shifting topics. He's, uh, He's changing themes. He's moving to labor now, um, completely changing gears. But in fact, he is not. The subject of expressing love toward both our Christian neighbor and to the greater society that surrounds us, it continues in his treatment of labor. Uh, The claim that what you do behind your own closed doors um, 
it doesn't affect your neighbors. Uh, that is not true with sexual immorality. It is also not true when an otherwise healthy, an otherwise perfectly healthy individual uh, spends his days on the couch eating Cheetos. Or, or resting extensively, playing video games um, while everybody, well, expecting everybody else in society to you know, subsidize your relaxing lifestyle. Uh, they can maintain the roads and the bridges and, and the defense and the health care. Uh, everybody else paying taxes to provide all these things to you. And if you are a Christian... Um, that also extends to your individual responsibility of financing and, and maintaining this ministry that we share together, uh, which includes supported missionaries, poverty relief, uh, even your part in the air conditioning that uh, keeps your seat nice and cool. Don't tell me you don't like that. I know you do. So you guessed it. You guessed it personal productivity, and a strong work ethic. Strong work ethic. It's also a societally moral issue. It's a moral issue. And knowing that a cheerful, uh, sacrificial, a generous giver is a scriptural requirement for every Christian. For every Christian. Uh, it's pretty hard for those, for anyone who is healthy and capable now, all right? Healthy and capable uh, who refuses to rise and go to work each day. Very difficult for them to be generous. Very difficult. Um, there must have been at least one or two hardheads uh, lingering about in Thessalonica because we're going to learn in a few months uh, in uh, 2 Thessalonians, the next letter, uh, which is only written a few months after this one, by the way, that Paul is going to find it necessary to restate this command we're going to read today, but with even stronger language. He'll say there, if anyone is not willing to eat, doesn't say unable, there's grace, but if anyone is not willing to work, neither shall he eat, all right? But we'll save that verse for a future day. Today I'm feeling nice. I'm just feeling, I got a really feeling really nice. Um, Folks, we only have about five or six messages left in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to bite a large chunk off next Sunday. It describes the, uh, the coming of Christ and the day of the Lord. Next week is going to be the rapture, and you do not want to miss that. Trust me, you want to be here. Don't miss that one. And then after that, there's only a few small bites left before we will start 2 Thessalonians and continue this series we've titled The Day of the Lord. Uh, for today, let's read how to love one another by staying busy. In verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need to write uh, for anyone to write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition 
to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business with the work of your hands. Just as we commanded you uh, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. We notice right off the bat immediately that this passage and in this passage that our behavior will both affect outsiders and insiders. All right? Insiders is talking about our Christian brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Outsiders, uh, well, that includes everybody else living around us. Uh, we're going to begin, as Paul does, talking about the insiders first. Through the proclamation of the gospel that Christ has died for sins, that he bore our guilt and shame uh, on the cross, and then on the third day after he died, the third day he rose again. That good news, uh, which includes, as as Peter professed, uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Through this, Jesus is building his church. Jesus is not building autonomous individuals. If the Holy Spirit dwells within you, verse 8, he says, you must have a love for the brethren. You've got to love the brothers and the sisters of the same faith. Uh, Folks, reinforcing the unity of the Spirit, which indwells every true Christian, that, that unity that we share together in common, one Lord, one faith, one baptism... It is a supreme doctrine in the New Testament. It's paramount. It's paramount. There is no loving Jesus Christ apart from loving the beautiful bride that is so precious to him that he, that he purchased her with his own blood. That's how precious the church, the bride of Christ is, the body of Christ We were redeemed to to serve and and to nurture his bride, the people of God. And referring to these Christian brethren, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 states, We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. You don't love the brethren, you abide in death, spiritual death, separation from God. Verse 16, John writes, we know love by this, uh, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Again, a, a love for those who belong to Jesus. And then in 1 John 4 and verse 20, uh, John spends a lot of time, the Apostle John spends a lot of time on this. He says, uh, uh, the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, uh, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. It's not an isolated doctrine in Scripture. You find it everywhere uh, and many different, um, expressed in many different ways. Ecclesiology. 
That is uh, the study of Christ's church. The function, uh, the organization, the, the spiritual dynamic of the church. Ecclesiology. That, that, is, that is my favorite theological concentration. I, I can't get enough of, of just reading about the church and what Christ has done for us and what we can do for one another. The love that uh, is increasingly being shaped in us as we are conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, eschatology is, is following a close second right now. And I'm really enjoying that. Something I didn't enjoy years ago, I've really enjoyed study of the end times. Uh, probably one of the reason, reasons we ended up in First and Second Thessalonians. But there is nothing that I more imperfectly love than that which Christ perfectly loves. I'll state that again. I hope it's true of all of us here. There's nothing that I more imperfectly love than that which Christ perfectly loves. It's His church. It's God's elect whom He perfectly loves. You can't experience the love of God in the forgiveness of sins and not yourself love the body of Christ corporate body that is uh, to love the brethren you got to love us and i know that can be kind of hard some days it's tough but you've got to love um G- jesus says he, he said I-, I did not come that i would be served but that i might serve i'm here for others I'm here for others In describing brotherly love, John uh, uses the term agape. Uh, That that is love, that's love extended that is unreciprocated. It doesn't depend on on anything uh, being expressed in return. It's God's love. Agape doesn't love because it receives something. There's no exchange of goods. Like I owe you. Uh, divine love is unmerited, it is unearned, it is undeserved. It's not an ecstatic feeling of, of goosebumps like, well, that first, first day of class when you saw uh, Sarah Price in the 8th grade, you know, goosebumps on your arms. Yeah, that, 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 that's not it either. Agape is a selfless concern for that which God loves. In verse 9, Thessalonica is described as the church of brotherly love. That, that, that's right. Uh, their brotherly love, it's the Greek word Philadelphia. All right? You might know a city named uh, with that same name, Philadelphia. And phileo, phileo love, it's, uh, it's a very practical extension of that. A very practical extension of agape, uh, divine love. And and Strong's Enhanced Greek Lexicon defines it as love between spiritual siblings. It says uh, in the New Testament, uh, the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. That's that's phileo. Uh, But phileo, it's not an empty or vain emotion either. Just like back in the 8th grade. It's not just a feeling or goosebumps or an ecstatic emotion. Uh, it's an aff- 
perfection that turns extremely practical. Extremely practical, we will see. Uh, it does things, all right? It does things. It changes a diaper. It, it fixes a broken pipe. It provides basic human needs like food and covering to those who don't have. It's very practical. It visits the sick. It's the first one to arrive and turn the lights on and, and the last one after everybody else has departed to turn the lights out. It's functional. It's practical. Love becomes, as Christ demonstrated, a very menial daily task like washing feet. During the Last Supper, that is found in John chapter 13, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't introducing or instituting some, some new spiritual ritual. Something, something uh, uh, esoteric or, or something that's mysterious amongst the brethren. He was performing an everyday household task, an everyday household task that nobody else in the room with him wanted to do. If a family could afford it, or if they could, could hire a household servant they would have that servant wash the feet. They, they, when you would approach a door in that age when you didn't have paved roads, but you were walking through dirt and sandals, one of the first things that would happen when you would walk in as a guest is uh, uh, they would wash your feet so you aren't dragging all that sand and dirt in the house with you. Just a common, everyday task. Um, apparently, we know the disciples arrived earlier, at least two of them did. I think it was John and, and Peter that were sent out first to go prepare the upper room and then the other ones come in and Jesus is just there with the disciples and as they arrived, nobody wanted to do that. I mean, we, didn't, we didn't schedule anybody to do this as we came in. Some folks have participated in a, in a ceremony of foot bathing uh, you know, thinking that, well, we've checked the box now of John chapter 13, what's next? All right, they participated in a ceremony, but never once grabbed uh, a bag of trash and humped it over to the dumpster. They missed the point. Missed the point entirely of Jesus washing feet, uh, and so do not understand Jesus' model of servitude. Why don't we do that anymore when you show up? Well, you've got socks, you've got shoes. You're walking on pavement. Um, we, that's, yeah, we don't have to do that any longer. Uh, but it is expressed in the same heart of service. It's cleaning the bathrooms. The menial task that nobody else really wants to do. The Christians in Thessalonica, they had figured it out. They figured it out. In verse 9, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need of anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That phrase there, taught by God, it's one word in the Greek, theodidaktos, all right? 
Theo, God, didactos, instruction. It's God instruction. It's God taught. Uh, the term implies being imparted with, with skills or knowledge by God for his purposes. You're probably thinking, well, so what? So what? Well, the significance is that theodidactos, it describes a love that is unique to Christian brethren. And it's a brotherly love for other Christians that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. We're, we're taught to love by Him. It's a change that He does within us. The same word supplies a, that theodidactos, the Holy Spirit, supplies a, a magnetic attraction. A magnetic attraction between Christians. And we are God-taught about how to love one another. He teaches us. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. This is why... This is why I'm not moving to a remote location to get away from everybody else. Well, maybe for a few days. Maybe just a few days. In March, I think, a few days, maybe I'll get a... This is why Christians you know, don't disappear into the mountains searching for the highest peak that they can find to get closer to God. Folks, Jesus is not waiting for you at the top of Mount Everest. Rather, the, divi the divine spirit of Christ... The Holy Spirit, which indwells all true Christian brethren, it's waiting for you right here. Every Sunday, right here in the fellowship of the saints. That's where you get close to God. And as part of the same process of sanctification announced in verse 3, this is the will of God. God gives His Holy Spirit to you in verse 8. We are God-taught to love in verse 9. And therefore in verse 10, indeed you do practice it. Indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are, all in, uh, who are in all of Macedonia, uh, but we urge you, brethren, oh, to excel still more. Excel even more. We'll look at some of the practical outworking of love in verses 11 and 12 in, in just a few minutes. But first, this, this growing in Christ-likeness or, or sanctification, being set apart to God for His purposes, uh, God's love, agape and Philadelphia, love of the brethren. Uh, folks, it can't be achieved in isolation. You can't do it alone. It doesn't happen at home. No, the church isn't at your home. The family that you have is your family. They tolerate you. They have to. When you can come to church and tolerate us, whoa, that's love. That's love, right? We endure with one another. People from different backgrounds and, and different upbringings and different understandings. Uh, 
all coming together showing grace, displaying grace in love. That's the church. You cannot practice love for the brethren without becoming a servant of the local church. You can't. Jesus said, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The modern phenomenon, all right, especially in the West, in Western civilization, the modern phenomenon that we see, it is a peculiar invention. It is a peculiar invention of amplifying Christian autonomy, individuality, as a display of loving Jesus. Folks, that is completely out of the twilight zone. Not in the Bible. There exists no elevation of an independent, churchless Christian in the Bible. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't learn God's love, acceptance, patience, charity, forgiveness, long-suffering, forbearance, and tolerance by being alone. Can't do it. Can't be done. There are scores of folks who, you know, claim to have a relationship with Christ. You'll talk to them. Uh, yet they nurture no relationship with a local body of believers. That doesn't even make any sense. They might be fooling themselves, but they aren't fooling Jesus. He sees every single heart. He knows whether his God-taught love dwells in you or whether it dwells in me. A love for the brethren exists because of God. And whether divine love drives you closer to the body of Christ, that will make the determination whether you yourself Reflect the image of Christ. Does it drive you closer to the body? About three years back, a uh, fellow, kind of, kind of an evangelist type of guy, he approached me at one of our church events one evening and uh, told me of just the explosion of the new converts to Christianity that uh, he had seen in his local ministry here in Port St. Lucie. And uh, he, said, he said it was just an amazing and powerful work of the Holy Spirit. He'd never seen anything like it. And he wanted to discuss with our elders, you know, supporting his ministry that is, that is witnessing all of this success. And here's what I asked. I said, where are they? He goes, what do you mean? I go, where are they? The new converts to Christianity that you're talking about, where are they? they? They need to be in a local church. We are a local church. I said, I'd like to be introduced to them. You know, the response was, oh, no, no, no. Um, I said, they aren't interested in any, going to any church. 
Some of them, he, he said, have had you know, bad experiences with church. I go, thought they were new converts. I told them if they have no desire to gather with Christ's church, not any church, uh, they're not converts. They're not converts. Um, the Apostle John tells us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. It's in 1 John 4.1. And th- that is a different spirit. That is a different spirit uh, because Theodidactos, through that God himself teaches us Philadelphia. Love for the brethren. There are parts uh, of the world, you've probably known people who've traveled there, where Christ's church is experiencing a significant growth. Significant growth. New converts will walk miles in the dirt. They probably do foot washing there. Now I just think about that. New converts will walk miles in the dirt on a sweltering hot Sunday in order to express their love for the Christian brother in worship and service. It's brotherly love. There are probably over 100 local churches in Port St. Lucie. Choose one. Choose one. It doesn't have to be this one. Choose one. But I find it difficult to take anyone, who, uh, anyone serious who refuses to drive a few blocks. Um, all ministries, church ministries, parachurch ministries, those are ministries that kind of function outside of the sphere of, of a local board of elders. They kind of function on their own. Um, they must amplify the spiritual, the scriptural imperative to plug those people whom they are ministering to into a local church. They must. They must. There can't be spiritual activities happening out there that, that apply no initiative uh, to those whom they are engaging about getting them into church. I, I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Um, in verse 10, Thessalonica is already practicing love. They're, they're practicing love. Yet Paul urges them to excel even more. Uh, the Greek term that we translate there, practice, right, it means to carry out an action. It's very practical, if you can believe that. To perform a deed. And for this reason, Paul's command here is very practical. You know, I personally like how the King James Version translates this word practical. All right, You might have it with you there. Uh, in the King James, it says... Ye do it, all right? Ye do it. In the original Greek manuscripts, the vernacular reads, get her done. I just made that up. But this is what it means. Get her done. Ye do it. Love the brethren in some practical way. Things need to get done. You might ask, it's like, well, what things need to be done? Well, some work has got to get done. The brethren in Macedonia, uh, they were ecstatic when they told Paul and Silas, informing them uh, what they had seen in Thessalonica. 
Do you remember what Macedonia's report card about the Thessalonians was that they gave in chapter 1 of this same book we're in? Uh, it says there, uh, these Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve a true, uh, a living and true God. They turned from idols in their lives to serve the true and living God. Think about that. They had idols in their lives. And they put those idols away to serve the body of Christ in an expression of agape in Philadelphia, a love for the brethren. In a very practical sense, how do you serve the one true and living God? Do you scale Mount Everest? Burn some incense? Light a candle? Spin some prayer wheel somewhere? Are these the service to God that Paul is talking about? Ceremony. No. Candles are no candles. The Bible doesn't say a word about candles. What Paul is talking about is the sphere of practical acts of brotherly love, such as washing one another's feet, which we've sufficiently covered what that means. But what other practical things are we able to do that will serve God and express love for the brethren? You're going to see them on display in verses 11 and 12. Very practical, practical things. I probably didn't leave as, as much time for this as I should have. Um, this, this point is extremely important. Extremely important. Uh, since there is always so much work to do in the local church, since there is always so much work to do uh, in evangelism or uh, practical uh, ways of service or in teaching, since there is always so much work to do in the local church, as much as it depends upon you, don't create more. Don't make more. Instead, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business. Be a busy body, Paul says. Don't be a busy body. Don't be a nuisance. Don't be a gossip or a, or a troublesome meddler. A critique of everybody else's faults and flaws. You know, some people think they're like Siskel and Ebert. Anybody remember them from the 80s? It's their job to go critique the movies, and some people feel they're Siskel and Ebert in the church. Oh, it's my job just to critique everyone. I've got to hand it to you folks. This is where it gets nice, all right? I, I do. This is sincere as all get out. I've got to hand it to you folks as a church, as a church. Over the last four or five years, I'm telling you, you have been outstanding in all of this. Absolutely outstanding. I realize we 
experience minor hiccups from time to time. Everybody does. Uh, I don't. I don't generally observe a lot of uh, catty drama. Uh, uh, our church member is minding the business of of others. I, I don't see it. I know a little bit may go on here and there, but I don't see it as a as a manifestation in our church. The people at Port St. Lucie Bible Church, they love well, they work hard, and they go home. Folks, you have recently been fantastic in this way. Paul would say, excel still more. It's not always this way in all churches. It hasn't always been that way here. There are usually a few that linger um, who they enjoy attending to other people's business rather than attending to their own. It, it happens. It happens. That's why we have correction. That's why the Bible corrects us and shapes us. An associate pastor who used to work here, uh, he will remain nameless. His identity is going to stay protected, all right? He used to say this. He, he picked this up on the road over the years. Found it from someone else, I'm sure. He used to say, uh, uh, some people are a joy wherever they go. And some people are a joy when they go. <laughs> Amen? I don't want to see any of you go. You are a joy. You are an absolute joy. Um, rumors of strife and gossip, they, they can suck the life out of any church. They really can. They just suck the energy out of it. Uh, some people change from church to church every couple of years just doing that. Just sucking the life out of every church, uh, doing no work at all. Don't shout, any, don't shout any names, please. You might know someone like that. And one cause that Paul identifies in 1 Timothy in chapter 5 is idleness. It's idleness. It's not working. He writes there, uh, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and, and not merely idle, uh, but also gossips and busybodies, he says, talking about things not proper to mention. Boy, when that, when that starts to take off, busybodies and, and speaking things that are not proper to mention, when that takes off, boy, just keeping pace with it can be a full-time job. It can, it can distract you from everything that you're trying to do. A complete distraction from what churches are designed by God to do. Uh, gossip and busybodies and slander and other things, they, they suffocate the life of a church. But Christians are different. We are different. Listen to what the professor uh, Thomas Constable from Dallas Seminary says about about these busybodies. This, this is pure gold right here. Pure gold. Speaking of busybodies, he writes, quote, a person who is constantly on the move, that's the, he's talking about the gossip butterfly. A person who is constantly on the move is frequently a bother to other people as well as somewhat distracted from his own walk with God. But a Christian who strives to be at peace with himself and God will be a source of peace to his brethren. Such quietude, says Constable, constitutes a practical demonstration of love for others. 
a Christian who strives to be at peace with himself and God will be a source of peace to the brethren. Wow. That's so true. So true. Just be quiet and tend to your own business. That itself, that itself is a, a massive uh, contribution to the productivity of the entire church. Just not sucking the life out of it. It truly is. That way the rest can stay busy with what we need to do. To win souls for the gospel. To preach the gospel. To study uh, for our lessons. To serve one another. To clean a bathroom. To wash feet. Well, there's enough to do without putting out brush fires all the time. And overall, you folks, you lead a quiet life. You stay busy. Boy, thank you, church. Thank you. Excel still the more. Another contribution is seen at the end of verse 11. Paul writes, Work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Work hard with your hands. Be productive. He, he, uh, he modeled this in chapter 2. How he was one that they should, they should follow in his role model for working hard to not become a burden on others. This uh, particular verse, it's not talking about remodeling the church, though, I, though we do truly appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Um, but this, is, this is talking about pursuing your own career. Pursuing your own career in a manner that you don't become a burden to others, insiders or outsiders. That serves as another massive contribution to the church. And with this, you, you folks are fantastic as well. You're wonderful in this. We, we as a church, we as a church, um, we're willing, we're ready to help. But most of the time when someone falls into a need, it's, it's short term. It's short term. Um, everyone goes through a down cycle now and then. I know I have. We all understand that fully. Uh, most of us have been ill at one time or another. Some have been severely ill. Uh, I mean it when I say uh, use the resources that we offer. Receive the meal train if you need it. Receive help when you need it. The members here, they truly seek occasions to express their love. We do that. Um, most of the time, though, with this church, what you're going to see is most people, they're hardy. Our people here are hardy. See, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Pray that this season will pass quickly. Pray for us. Um, well, we've got a lot of hardy folks here who work hard with your hands. You put a little money back. You're prepared, as Dave Ramsey says, uh, to do. Uh, you do your work in five or six days. You work hard. Take a day off to worship the Lord and love the brethren. You offer your spare time to serve. Uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. That, that's what God has called us to do. And one of the things that I truly, truly enjoy, uh, yeah, I do, I truly enjoy this part. At this church, 
We will enjoy the fruit of our labor together. A good meal. We'll enjoy, we'll share what God has blessed with us, uh, blessed us with, and uh, we toil with our hands. We work hard. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 told us, if you remember in our last book, it said, that's your reward. What you earn, that's your reward. In fact, he says, this is God's gift to you. Work hard, enjoy it, share it, buy your wife something nice. It's a blessing of God and rejoice.